0: Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, oh. gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas goes all Texas goes on. Texas talking,
1: this is Kathy Blackwell, editor-in-chief of Austin Way Magazine. We're trying very hard to get Reed Hamilton to model in our spring fashion issue, so I hope this helps. Welcome to TribCast.
0: Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the third week of January. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hi there. And newsletters editor R- John Reynolds. Hello. It's hard John Reynolds, hard isn't to it? Say. It's
1: such a tough name. It's a tough one. <laughs> a tongue twister.
2: He's from Georgia. It's hard to pronounce those names. Are you from Georgia? Indeed I am.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Let's talk about that for a while.
1: He's a bulldog.
3: Yes. Oh, I knew yes. that. <laughs> we did know that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stone, Stone Mountain.
0: No. Yeah. Apologies for the slow start here. We are just uh, recovering from Inauguration Day festivities.
3: That's my excuse.
0: Yeah. That's my excuse every day.
1: Reeve was in bed by 1030.
0: And I'm recovering from that. That's very <laughs> early for me. <laughs> um, so what did you guys think of Inauguration Day? Was the, one of the most, the most, one of the most expensive Inauguration Days it's so record. hard
2: to remember, you know. Inflation has gone up like seven hundred percent since the last time there was an inauguration in this state. <laughs> However,
1: you know. I would say the cost per attendee clearly was the highest on record. There were not that many people there for the big barbecue, and they spent all that money and had all those tons it was a, of stuff. It was a
2: it was a gorgeous day. It was a it, You know, it's the kind of day when you thought, you know, if you're going to get a crowd for something like this, this is a day when you're going to get a crowd. There wasn't a crowd there. It's they, a Tuesday at noon. It's hard to get people out. It wasn't a sort of wave election with a bunch of charismatic people running, not to knock anybody, but it wasn't, you know, like they were somebody that everybody wants to be in a
0: selfie with. It's not like, oh, I want to hear what these people sound like when they speak. Right.
2: There were
1: a lot of selfies taken. However, this is a very selfie-full inauguration. Even even
0: from the podium,
1: Dan Patrick started
2: off saying, I got to get a selfie of this and turned around turned his back to the audience and... Shot a couple of selfies. It was funny,
1: and then at the inauguration ball, not to be one upped by that selfie, mm-hmm. Greg Abbott took a selfie with uh, Dan Patrick. You know, yeah. on stage,
0: they're both just courting Ellen DeGeneres comparisons. I think, as always, <laughs> yeah, clearly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, next they'll be sitting in the back of a Lincoln Navigator with Matthew McConaughey driving. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But what cares. what about the the content of their
2: speeches? You know. We we all kind of anticipated this, you know. You have a corporate lawyer and a populist, and you, those are the kinds of speeches you got. You know, Abbott gave kind which of which is a which regular. Right. John, let's have. John I mean, guess. He, Abbott gave <laughs> Abbott gave sort of you know what you would expect from Abbott. It was a perfectly adequate speech that was didn't really have a lot of pull quotes in it. it. Didn't have a lot of things where you're going to walk away and say, oh yeah, that's the speech where he said blank.
1: And, and not particularly policy heavy either.
2: No, he mentioned some stuff that he wants to get done. Uh, both of the speeches had vouchers in them for schools and and immigration, and um, we still hate Washington and some things like that. But um, not the kind of quote lines that you you know run away with the the Patrick speech. On the other hand, you know, first you know they handed us a speech and then they didn't use it. Right. You know, he was sort of um, deviating from police. your remarks. Was a whole new whole new level of that. And he got into the audience and got into the sort of the. Um, it was kind of evangelical
0: and um,
2: not
1: just kind well, of was I mean, the, it was there were lots of bible verses it right. was he
0: right. was the one that really had home vouchers for schools. I mean, he spent Definitely. a lot of time on vouchers and sort of compared it to the civil rights fight. he sort of He's, yeah, he
1: referenced you know, Martin, he referenced Luther, Martin King. Luther
0: King in the context and, of school and values. How do you think
1: Martin Luther King would feel knowing that you know so many kids today are in such poor performing schools? You know, he did this call and response kind of thing with right, the audience the that crowd, was very right. sort of you know Should preacher we do it? style. We do it now. It's a new day. In Texas. Well, or that's something the
0: response.
2: Like that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, what day is it? No. Yeah. So, so, so flip
2: that. Right. So all of the all of the Elvis was with the lieutenant governor, not with the governor, which is kind of what we expected, and you know, frankly, kind of what I expect going forward. So how do you think this...
1: Abbott feels about that? I mean, I, I kept wondering, watching him up there, you know, as Dan Patrick was speaking. How do you think he feels about this? You know, very sort of over the top, you know, public speaker.
2: You know, he's probably used to it. I mean, he's been around people like this, you know, and, and Abbott's trained in a courtroom. He's a judicial sort of person. He's deliberative. He's kind of calm. He's, you know, he's smart. And, you know, he's not kind of he's not the sort of person that runs the pep
0: rally. According to. He's not Senator Blutarski. <laughs> according to political scientist Pat Green, who played at the inauguration ball, <laughs> Abbott leads from the middle.
1: I'm not so sure He that, rejects
0: from the diagram
1: yeah. <laughs> he Leads from the middle I'm not sure that's a line That Abbott would necessarily like He's probably more upset <laughs> yeah. about,
0: about that Than Patrick's speech Yeah I talked to Jim Henson Who listeners might know From this podcast Or from reading Trib Talk
1: Or from looking at our polls
0: Or from going go, Attending the University of Texas At Austin And he said that Or from it,
1: hanging out In local bars <laughs> <laughs> Or they might not know him at all
0: uh, Jim legend Jim Jim Henson The legend <laughs> Um, And and he sort of was saying that, you know, the lieutenant governor's office traditionally has been sort of thought of as the stronger office of the two and that we haven't had that for the last decade or so just because of Perry's longevity and Perry's style versus do her style and that this seemed to be sort of a rhetorical assertion, reassertion of that sort of uh, status quo structure.
1: Your colleague Ross Ramsey wrote that exact column.
0: Yeah. Well, I heard it from Jim. It's,
2: But it's not a – you know, the bully pulpits always belonged to the governor. Even when the lieutenant governors were stronger, the, the governors were better speakers. You know, the Bill Hobby was sort of a um, – he wasn't the guy out front talking all the time. Neither was Bob Bullock really, you know. But the – I don't know. The star power seems to be in the in – the, at least for crowds and things like that, seems to be in the lieutenant governor's office. Now, whether that matters, I don't know. And, you know, it may be that Abbott just quietly, you know, Runs a show and keeps things going like Perry has, and keeps the power concentrated in the governor's office. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch as as this next four years unfold.
3: Right, and and I think the other the um, uh, flip side of all the analysis is that now, of course, people are trying to figure out based on the speeches as to what the alliances are. Right. I mean, you the the, the third person in this equation who was up on the dice but didn't really speak was uh, was Strauss, and so the Julie question, Strauss. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, so the question is, who do, who does Strauss fall in with, Abbott or Patrick? And you know, a lot of people are making judgments based on speeches. We'll see. You yeah, know, early, I mean, how
0: much can you really take from these speeches?
2: Ultimately, not a bunch.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not a bunch. They're both in office. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, we've got that over with. They go to they go to work on the first day. Abbott has an execution to oversee,
0: and so you know it's like, here is your job. Um, go. Do we know, do we have any sense of what he's going to do? Assume, let it go forward?
1: I would assume he would let it go would, forward. Yeah, I would assume I mean, so. I, don't,
0: I haven't heard
3: otherwise. Right. Um, and, of course, he has that HHSC strike force on his agenda for today as well. He's
2: so. got that. He's got some appointments that are up early this week. Um, you know, it, it starts right away. Hmm. Um, you know, so much for the parties get to work.
1: Do we read anything at all into uh, Julian's story about Abbott uh, not inviting the Mexican border governors to this for the first time? You know, Ann Richards did it. Perry did it. George W. did it. What, you know, is there anything interesting, anything to read into that at all by that you know it's it seems like potentially an omission although clearly Abbott has made you know pretty strong inroads with Latinos in Texas and had his you know mother-in-law up there on stage mm-hmm. with him and and obviously his wife
3: i mean it would seem it would seem a reflection of the mood right i mean you're <laughs> you you don't want to be seen on the stage with folks when you, when you're a GOP basis. Yeah, but the way you know,
2: is. this is this is an old tie between Texas and Mexico and it seems to have transcended politics. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been, you know, in good times and bad, you know, when the
1: These are our when, neighbors, right? During
2: the early days of the drug war, you know, Bill Clements still had meetings with these guys, they came over. I think it was I think it was um, either an oversight or a mistake. It's you know, I don't I don't know if it was or they had reasons that they not didn't, something didn't right. something somebody didn't think of or uh, you know something they thought of, and for some reason decided not to do i i, I don 't see why they didn 't do it and and Those are important relationships for Texas, both in terms of trade, in terms of politics, in terms of culture and you know it 's not a horrible mistake, but it, I think it was a goof.
0: but when you talk to politicians, i mean for people that are not in politics, I think it can be surprising how much those seemingly meaningless things do matter to. Uh, elected officials did you get invited to the thing did you get to speak in what order it's all
2: Downton Abbey it's all personal slides
1: I mean like you know Perry would recognized all those border governors you know from the stage I mean (laughs) it wasn't like they were just invited they were called out
2: knew them by name right exactly
1: I'm, yeah, it just seemed like an interesting omission, and i uh... There's
2: a there's an important trade group called you know the Border Governors Conference that um, involves you know Texas and all you know all the border governors from both sides, and you know that'll play into this. Uh, Obama is talking about rewriting NAFTA, um, oddly with a lot of Republican support and a lot of Democratic pushback. But um, you know these trade agreements are all up in the air again. You know I think it, these relationships are going to be important.
0: Well, before we move on from Inauguration Day, I think John Reynolds did have a little uh, fun fact about it for us. Which one? About the firing uh, – uh, well,
3: the salute. The firing squad. The firing squad on the first day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I believe that's
0: circular. That's yes. a preview of the execution. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh,
3: well, actually, this is not my fun fact. This is, <laughs> this is your fun fact. Uh, but we actually – it tells you how bored we get up here. We we, we looked up the protocols on uh, – on, 21 gun salutes versus 19 gun, 19 gun salutes.
1: Because there were many, many cannon blasts at the inauguration there yesterday. There were many
3: people flinching yesterday on the ground, says, will it ever end? But it was 19 guns. <laughs> uh, but there <laughs> is protocol right. on this. Uh, you know, you hear, you hear a lot about the 20, 21 gun salute. Mm. But apparently that is... Because it's a Green that, Day song. Something like that, yes. Mm. But it's a reserved only for the president, according to, uh, well, reputable sources. Uh, and
2: reputable ones. I think Wikipedia was in there
3: somewhere. So president
1: gets 21, but how many do you get when you're dead?
2: I think if you're a dead hero, you get 21. But yes. and then yeah. there's a then there's an so argument over a living over governor. A, you only get 19. A, a, a 21 gun salute is cannons or guns on a ship. If you're at a funeral or something, it's rifles.
3: Yes. Oh, and you do. So there's all kinds. That, of that I think calls. you do I'm seven really shots at a time too. Yeah. Uh, but 19 guns are reserved for the vice president. They're reserved for cabinet officers, sta- uh, governors of states, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So you really got to You really got to move up to get those last two or die. I think
3: That's I'm correct. still on
2: no guns. Oh.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You'll get there. Journalists, yeah. journalists don't get
2: journalists don't get guns unless they're pointed at them. You're at at least
0: three guns, Ross. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> uh, well, well, we said hello to those new folks. We also said goodbye this past week to Rick Perry. Uh, he gave his last address to the state house.
1: I'm not sure we said goodbye so much as have fun in Iowa.
0: We said goodbye to Governor Rick Perry. I oh. should correct myself. I don't know.
1: You get to be a governor forever. I keep wondering if he's going to change his Twitter handle, but I think it can stay as Governor Perry, can it?
3: If he wants it to. You mm-hmm. might have a lifetime member card for Sandy's frozen custard now too.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely.
0: Right. Well, you could also—I mean, you could change your Twitter handle to Governor Emily if you want. You know, it's a free,
1: oh, good idea. The
0: internet's wild.
1: But he's, you know, he gave his farewell address here in Texas uh, that, you know, sounded a lot like, uh, here are all the good things that I could possibly run a presidential campaign on. Then his last official act as Texas governor was giving a speech in San Diego. And this weekend he's spending three or four days in Iowa, you know, three or four different events. Our uh, D.C. Bureau Chief Abby Livingston is out there with him and with Cruz, who's also going to be out there. So it's, um, you know, he's he's on the road again.
2: Yeah, he's, you know, Same Texan, as it ever was. Texans in high corn. You know, he's he's doing what he was doing um, four years ago, this time this time with study.
1: Right. He says right. he is very, very prepared. He What's hasn't the... decided whether he's going to run yet or not, but he is very prepared. You know, why do you prepare if you're not going to run? Right. It seems like a yeah. lot of work. Yeah,
2: why do all the homework and not take right. the test? He's going to run. It, yeah. know, it, would be sor- it would be really surprising if he didn't run at this point.
0: Well, unless it just proves impossible for him to raise money, but that doesn't seem to have been— the right. case so far as far as we know.
2: I think all of them are going to have a hard time here for a minute. There's you know no, there's 30 people there's 30 people running, you know. And and if like, I'm if I'm in the money game, I don't want to commit until I've seen somebody you know at least show me a glimmer that they might possibly perhaps if everything goes right win the race. And I I think that's going to take a little while.
1: I mean, well, I think he's being taken seriously. And I think he's being taken seriously by the na- you know the national media not yeah. just the Texas media. Mm-hmm. You know, the sort of Oops is is in the you know rear view mirror and yeah it like keeps coming up a lot but it but it's not coming up as much as it did. It's
0: kind of an old joke. It's kind sort of, sort of it. an old He turns hat. it into yeah. a self deprecating, charming laugh line. You know, yeah. this came up. At, he was interviewed at the TPPF uh, sort of conference before the legislative session with Newt Gingrich. Right. With Newt Gingrich, and it was a very uh, you know obviously a very friendly crowd. Um, but said, oh, I forget who the guy was. I forget who the guy was president. that was, was interviewing them. But he asked like what were the three things you would do as president and instantly Perry said first he asked Ingrich but Perry jumped in like are you just messing with me like come on
2: well, you were there, Emily, when he when he did the oops thing that night. He walked into the press room, didn't he, and said, "I just stepped in it."
1: Yeah, he came in and said, I, He said the words were, "I stepped in it." I mean, and that was a, a terrible night yeah. for anybody. I mean, that doesn't to, require a but, lot of self awareness. But he was
2: right. already, but he was already doing the repairs right. within minutes of making the mistake. He and Here we are, you know, yeah, almost four years later. He wasn't
1: originally going to come to the to the spin room himself. It was just going to be his staff, and after that, he they were like, "You have to go out there," and so he right. went out and said, "I stepped in it."
0: Beat it while it's hot.
1: Just forgot. Yeah.
0: Well, so right. what about the government he's leaving behind? One of the sort of revelations on his way out the door is that <laughs> this veto that sort of John made a glancing reference to a second ago with the Sandy thing, the, the veto of the public integrity unit funding that got him his indictment that ultimately led to his booking, after which he went to Sandy's for custard. Well,
2: if you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, it sounds like uh, that's had sort of a ripple effect.
2: Yeah, so there's a, you know, there was a story in the Houston Chronicle that about um, investigations that got an investigation that got dropped at the Travis County DA's office into contracts at the Department of Public Safety, the State Police. When Perry made the veto, they didn't have the funds to proceed with everything they were working on. I talked to Greg Cox, who's the head of the public information unit at the DA's office, and he said, you know, integrity unit, sorry, and Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, look, we got our funding
0: cut. If he was the head of the public information unit, he'd be calling back more, I hope. Um,
2: (laughs) He um, said, we got our funding cut, and we had to figure out which cases to carry forward. We obviously didn't have the money to do everything, so they sent a bunch of insurance cases, uh, insurance fraud cases back to the Department of Insurance. They sent a bunch of uh, tax fraud cases back to the controller, and they dropped a couple of investigations, you know, several investigations that they were doing. Including three, as it turns out, involving contracts over at dps and and Cox said that there was no evidence he didn't he hadn't heard anything credible that would say that the veto had the anybody at the capitol had any idea that a veto would end this investigation or that one, or even that anybody over there had an idea of what was, what was going on and what might get cut. So he didn't, you know, blame it in particular for that. And he said something else that I thought was interesting and maybe, you know, shows you the way forward or shows you a way forward on this, which was that um, he said, look, we're, pri- we're not primarily an investigating agency. We're primarily a prosecuting agency. And people bring us investigations all the time, the police, the state auditor, whoever, and anybody who wants to in one of those positions can pick up these contract cases or anything else and go forward with them and and bring us a folder when they've done their investigation that's still open so um he played it down a little bit he did say though that you know because of those vetoes there were cases that either were not fully developed yet or you know were um of lower interest that they said, you know, if we're going to have to pick between one or the other, we'll take this one and drop that one.
1: You know, the conversation uh, around Rick Perry on the national stage, has it hasn't really been about this indictment of late. You know, I think that will change when uh, there is more movement in the legal case. And, you know, the national um, conversation has to turn to, you know, look, are we seriously considering someone who's in the midst of this investigation or in the midst of this uh, criminal indictment? But I think for right now, you know, there just hasn't been that much discussion of it because the legal back and forth has been quiet in the last month or so.
2: Yeah, I guess the next piece is when the judge decides whether the indictments should proceed. The, right. Perry's lawyers have challenged the indictments themselves, trying to get the charges knocked out. If those get knocked out, obviously, you know, you'd either have to go back to the grand jury or drop it. If they don't get knocked out, then you've got to start talking about a trial. And now you're getting into the time frame when he would rather be in Iowa and New Hampshire and exactly. South Carolina. And everybody else will be saying, well, I'm really sorry the governor's been indicted. And we'd hate to have a candidate who was indicted, even though I think he's right. innocent. And you yeah. know, how many I times mean, A can trial
1: you say, is no good.
2: Indicted in a Senate. They have right? to
1: avoid a trial, at you know, at all costs. I,
2: I think their first thing is that they need to get this – over with one way or the other quickly and even if they go to trial if he were to go to trial quickly and win he slayed the dragon and that's actually going to be a plus right they've already
1: spent a million dollars you know on his legal defense i was gonna
0: say at all costs is probably the the
2: key
1: phrase there yeah and you know they haven't gone to trial and they've already spent a million dollars so
0: only only three million left right (laughs) and then who, who pays for the
1: uh his legal defense who
0: no who pays for the other side
1: I mean, in theory, taxpayers. taxpayers. Yeah, Yeah,
2: Yeah. that's a that's a state. You know, that's a prosecution by the state. It's a special prosecutor brought in by the Travis County DA. So, so
0: in theory, it's also in our interest to wrap this up.
1: Well, I mean, not our
0: interest as the press.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Our interest is tax – I mean I think the, there's just so much money being spent, and hell for a time, Rick Perry was spending taxpayer dollars. you know that shifted pretty quick because there was this outcry, but right. you know tax dollars have been spent on both sides of this issue and will continue to be spent, so either way, this is an incredibly costly endeavor and
3: so of course, of course interesting thing with all these contracts is heading back to uh the current governor you know this this now becomes a kind of interesting point for uh, for Abbott with with what's going on with contracting DPS, HHSC. You know, this is a chance to start uh, establishing an identity.
0: And he's not coming in and just knocking heads together right off the bat. He, like you mentioned earlier, he has this strike force, and mm-hmm. he said that he wants to wait until they've gathered all the information, and then he will review that and make a decision, which gets back to sort of what Ross was saying about his judicial temperament, I guess. Right,
2: right. There's some question about some of the personalities involved and whether they can, as a matter of politics, hang in. Um, Abbott, you know, you want to hear all of this out and you don't want to make a bigger mess than you already have, but um, you also don't want to adopt and own problems that properly or at least politically might belong to your predecessor. So. Uh, you know, now that he's in office, I think, you know, we'll we'll see this develop pretty quickly.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good chance to establish identity, clean house, say, a new sheriff in town.
0: So what kind of identity do you think he's going to be establishing? Do we have a sense of that? Judicious.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, this contracting stuff, there, the, there's going to be a determination that, you know, these processes are not as rock solid as they should have been and there'll be a whole bunch of sweeping reforms. But I would be very surprised if, you know, anybody gets severely penalized and, and, legally.
3: And I guess if you want to think about Abbott, I mean, you know, he's, he's been attorney general for 12-something years. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what, what is the signature issue?
0: Suing the federal government. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't think we're going to suddenly get really cozy with Washington? I'm betting not.
1: (laughs) You heard it here first. Yeah, Yeah. right. Uh,
0: Well, what about – I mean, obviously, so Abbott sort of is in the driver's seat in terms of setting the tone to some extent because they can't do any legislation that he doesn't declare as an emergency item. For the first sixty days, he has a state of the state coming up at some point in theory.
2: Unless you get unless you get four fifths of the House and Senate to say, okay, it's an emergency. The only way to do it is to have the governor say so, and, and he can, if he wants to, in his um, state of the state speech, or even without a speech, just say, you know, this is an emergency. Do it. Um,
1: Will he do that with vouchers?
2: I don't know if he would do it with vouchers. He might do it with border security. He might, you know...
0: Um, it would probably. It sounds like if he's going to do it, it's going to be in one of those four things he's laid out, education-related. Right. But although when he talks about education, he hasn't specified vouchers the way Patrick has, has he?
2: He did in his speech. He mentioned he mentioned school choice yesterday in his speech. So, you know, that was one of the issues. That and immigration, border security were two issues that, that both of them mentioned in their speech.
3: But, you know, if you look at the two issues, I mean, you have to think about... What would have greater likelihood of success, I imagine. If you're doing your first emergency item, you wouldn't want to do something that would be divisive in your party. Which you voucher, the which vouchers remain so yeah, divisive issue. Mean, right. we, we can ask our uh, House Public Education Committee chairman about that. Well, right.
0: that's one of those. It's more of an urban-rural divide than I think. Correct.
3: It is right. a right. partisan it's not divide. Not DR thing. But yeah. border right. security has the has the opposite effect. It can mm-hmm. bring together Ds and R's.
2: Yeah, and right. in fact, the the voucher thing, Patrick has already started talking about publicly talking about. Okay, Republicans, we need to help our rural Republicans come over on this issue. So they know where their they know where their votes are not right now, and they need to bring over you know people who are in districts that are very conservative that don't where, but where people don't have a lot of alternatives to public schools, even if they had vouchers. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, but if uh, if we are expecting Patrick to try to sort of reassert the power of the lieutenant governor, what can he do in the next sixty days to get that going?
2: I think they can fly through a lot of legislation. You know, they can fly through a lot of – they can file a lot of bills. They can have a lot of hearings. They can uh, stack up a lot of things and have it ready to go whether they actually pass it out or not. You know, part of the emergency issue thing is, you know, if you squint at this, it's only a – you know, the Senate can vote on a bill as long as nobody calls them on it, right? So if they wanted to do that, they could do something like that. Um, It's a period where all three of the top three officials – have an opportunity if they want to to try to define the issues that are going to make this session and you don't have to pass bills or have floor debates to do that you can do that in committees you can do it wherever there's a microphone so mm-hmm.
3: and we and we had that great image that uh newly elected uh, state senator don don huffines had of throwing legislation over the transom as if they were going to be able to uh, bury the house under, <laughs> under so New so this happens
2: every time laney did this pete laney the former speaker did this to bob bullock changed the rules in the house so that the house slowed down and sort of took advantage of Bullock's personality, which was, let's get it done, let's get it done, let's get it done. Bullock sent a bunch of bills over to the House and realized, you know, the senators realized after a little bit that uh, there was a hostage incident going on, and all these bills were stuck, and the House was saying, you know, using the Senate bills to say, you know, well, we'll look at that, are you looking at our stuff? And for some reason, the Senate has never, ever figured this out. Here we are 20, you know, 22 or 24 years later, and the – You know, all signs are that the Senate is going to name that Dan Patrick's going to name his committees this week, and put those together and have them zinging through legislation. And Strauss is mid-February looking like the House usually does was the first or second week of February. Right.
0: But they got their rules uh, wrapped up pretty quick, didn't they? The House did. Yeah.
2: Right. But they weren't really doing. They weren't making. You know. Giant controversial changes they had some noise about it, but they weren't making the kind of giant controversial changes that you know the Senate looks you know looks mm-hmm. like it
0: wants to do with the mm-hmm. two thirds rule they did have a big blow up over uh passing a smoking ban in the capitol.
1: It's true,
2: yeah, who Which, knew you could still smoke in the capitol I didn't apparently.
1: realize you could still smoke in individual offices,
2: yeah um, I thought that well, uh, uh, some but.
0: some of the some of the Democrats really want to protect the right to smoke inside the Capitol. There's some and
1: smokers, smokers And the Republicans down there. Yeah, there are, are trying to get rid of it, basically. I know. Strange. Uh, <laughs> but, so,
2: yeah, nothing major, in other words. <laughs> right. Exactly.
3: But, yes, but the real stopper here on the House side is committee assignments. And uh, we, we know that this week that uh, – Members filled out their little index cards, asking which committees they uh they would prefer to be on, and so right. it it is now up to the speaker to do traffic control in which he uh, takes a look at all the names in front of him he uh, takes into consideration the seniority. 19 people
1: who voted against him
3: yes, <laughs> and he's going to do the he's going to do the big seating chart on committees, and uh it could take anywhere uh two three weeks and uh Until then, the House really can't do much anything Mm -hmm. other than lots and lots of congratulatory resolutions.
2: Yeah, the next big move to watch is the state of the state and see if Abbott's
0: going to set an agenda. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, speaking of committees, there's this uh, interesting council that is – in the news. Oh,
0: that was a nice transition, Emily. Uh,
1: yeah, I know, and I'm also trying to make <laughs> Ross's phone stop ringing. It's a complicated. I, that was yeah. I was multitasking. Now it's I'm not doing it very well. Yeah. Um, so
2: she threw it 25 feet.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Patrick has established this basically this citizen commission of people he wants to advise him on a whole range of policy issues. You know, the budget, transportation, energy, uh, and what's fascinating about this citizens panel. Is that for this, you know, Tea Party favorite guy who's sort of seen as the outsider rebel, you know, these are really all very um, sort of traditional uh, establishment business folks in Texas. Um, and a lot of them have, you know, pretty serious business before the state. A lot of these people, their companies have contracts with the state. Uh, a lot of these folks spend, you know, millions of dollars combined lobbying the legislature on behalf of their companies. So,
0: but now, now they'll finally get a chance to have their voices heard.
1: Well, and he he was quoted. Patrick was quoted basically saying that he didn't think these business interests had, uh, you know, enough opportunity to contribute to the dialogue. You
0: and, know. and these are people like uh, like Jean Powell, who was the chairman of the University of Texas. Board of regions Brent
1: Ryan uh, I mean it's you know, we have a big we have a list on our website Morgan Smith and some of the members of our news apps team did an analysis of the lobbying spending by the folks on this panel by the companies of the folks on this panel
2: it's it, you know everybody has a group of people that they listen to and everybody in politics that takes campaign contributions there 's a list of people that we all kind of look at who their big donors are and assume make the assumption that their calls get through this was different. This is kind of a laying on of hands. This was Patrick saying, you know, these are the people that I am listening to. My disciples. And and you should, you know, I'm going to point to them. And, you know, if, if you're talking to one of these people or one of these people wants something, you know, I, it just it just looks like the people that you have to go through to get to the king here. And it doesn't, I don't know, it's kind of weird. So, but could you just
0: argue that it's more transparent than the way it's been done in the past?
2: You could argue that. And you, yeah. could, you You could say that, you know, everybody has a kitchen cabinet and the difference here is that. He has named his kitchen cabinet. Um, you know, the exclusion is important here. You know, if you're one of the names that's not on the list, then you're one of the names that's not on the list.
0: Yeah, I felt that pretty, yeah, pretty I could, strongly.
2: <laughs> I know you were pretty despondent that day. Um, but, but I mean, inside the Capitol, this is a very, you know, particular kind of message. The, the, you know, these are my people.
0: Who would be on your list if you were putting a list together? I, I wouldn't say. <laughs> not you. Yeah. Um, and so, but I, so if these are the people that have sort of had an in already, do we really expect this committee to, to change things well, well, will it sort of be business means, as usual? It
1: seems like these folks have already had, you know, wielded a, a great deal of in, influence in the Capitol. So maybe it is just sort of publicly laying it out there. But it does sort of formalize what I think everybody sort of thought, which is that these people had, you know, a seat at the table.
2: Right. Um, so, the next question is where 's that table, and what are they doing? Do they put out a do they put out any kind of policy papers? Is it a formalized process no it 's a mean, formalized Patrick process. Said, yeah. Is it a thing that where the rest of us get to see what they 're talking about?
1: No, in fact, Patrick said that their recommendations would be private would not be made public
2: so it will work just like the Texas Senate, which meets mostly in the Betty King room privately mm. and then comes out and tells us what they decided
1: right
0: mm.
2: the secret society over there, yeah.
0: Well, it's sort of like this Tribcast. I mean, you should hear the conversations we have when we're not recording,
3: right? It's shocking.
1: I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs>
0: uh, well, uh, if people have questions or comments about what those conversations sound like, uh, they can email tribcast at texasribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Emily Ross, John, and our producer, Todd, who got us through this week without any technical errors, we think. This is Reeve. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
1: I'm telling you, the invasion of people who have rhinestones glued to their flip-flops and their shirts in Austin is a serious problem.